Yeah, so you're telling me that July 10th is not happening now. July 31st is the new possible date? Mate, that's a little bit too late. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it's a load of old bullshit. <laughs> Well, what a week it's been for the cinema industry, eh? A week which kind of warrants me saying the following words. Hello and welcome to Talking Smith About Film. We are back live for the final bit of content before this year's birthday marathon. It is a major week for all of us here at Lee Jack Smith Ventures. We have not one, not two, but three movies to review this afternoon. Not this afternoon, this evening. It's been a while since I've done this live because it's all the marathon stuff's on tape. I'm a bit out of practice at this. Cut me some slack, guys. Uh, but we've got a busy show ahead, as usual. Uh, a bit of extra goodness in the live chat because a uh, new streaming software tonight. Uh, but with three films to review and a big discussion as well, we better not waste any time and tell you how you can get involved with this humble podcast. So if you are watching live on YouTube, you can scroll to the little... my left, uh, and have a look at the live chat. If you signed in, you can get involved through there. If you want to go old school, you can email us podcast at leejacksmith.com. You can tweet us using the hashtag TalkingSmith. You can find me at leejacksmith. And if you're a Facebook or an Instagram kind of person, we also have presence there too. You can find us at Smith on Film on those respective platforms. We've got a big, wide range of content coming out over the next few days. And it really is all about you, because cinemas are closed. Can't do anything about it. And we will address those cinema statuses a little bit later on in this week's Talking Smith About Film, because we've got film news rundown to do in a little bit. Let's get straight on to business because i've missed doing this so it's been nothing but rip ticket rip ticket rip ticket rip ticket over the last few weeks for me let's do our first review back and i promised this in the comments of the last live episode but with the whole black lives matter movement going on in america we thought it would be best to showcase a film that john boyega has made and a lot of you think, oh, you're going to go for Star Wars. I'm going to go a little bit more niche than Star Wars. In 2011, Boyega got his big break in a, a, a science fiction film made by Film 4 and directed by Joe Cornish of Adam and Joe fame. It was a film that took the world by surprise and a very different kind of science fiction film. If YouTube's content ID wants to play the right way tonight, this is the trailer for Attack the Block. Believe it, when I landed in the wrong place, though, you get yes. the wrong place. <laughs> well, lads, you discovered a species hitherto unknown to science. He kicked his head in. <laughs> Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Lovely fireworks. Mommy, it's alien invasion. Of course it is. I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Let's get tooled up, blood. Quite sweet, really, aren't they? That looks triple the size, but... Right now, I feel like going home, locking my door, and playing FIFA. What were those things? I think probably aliens. What kind of alien would invade some council estate in South London? One that's looking for a fight. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? about the driving from getting lessons for Christmas. Whoa! Got no credit. Got one text left. This is too much madness to explain in one text. We have to call the police. You'd be better off calling the Ghostbusters, love. No, what's wrong with you, man? You got a tool. Jesus, he looks about six. I'm not in a half. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get
told you it was a unique kind of science fiction film. Uh, when this movie came out, Film 4 didn't really give much in terms of the press kit. The literal plot in simple terms that we have, a teen gang in South London defend their block from an alien invasion. In a block versus outer space. And it works really damn well. It really does work so incredibly well. Now, of course, before we launch the review, we have a clip. We may cut this clip off after a, a little bit because it is a bloody long clip. Find, find, finding good stuff from this movie is, is difficult because working titles were involved and you know the seal of approval for a comedy science fiction film when working title get get involved in it on a movie like this. And it's kind of embodied in the performances because... It's a brilliant cast. It is a brilliant cast, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them after this clip. Down the end. I'm too high for this shit. Trust. I'm gonna shoot those things, man. Same here, bruv. Time's free. Done, no. I'm Bruce, by the way. Sam. From pocket, man. I'm gonna be at this house party in Fulham now. It's like I'm trapped in this bloody block. You're pissed. Get ready with that lighter. Yeah, pass it, pass it. What about you? Live here. Really? Wicked. I'm set. And we'll leave that clip there because we don't want to spoil too much of the film and also I don't want to risk copyright strikes because big week ahead. Film 4 have had a very proven track record when it comes to supporting and championing independent and very art house, very niche British films. you just got to look at what they've done with Danny Boyle over the years. They've supported up-and-coming talents as they get their traction, get their rise into the industry. And they've quite literally done it all. And this film from Joe Cornish of Adam and Joe fame, yes that Joe Cornish, it adds to that legacy because Film 4, once again, nailed it. Now, Cornish writes and directs this film with incredible ease. This is a very tightly paced 90-minute film that not only has humour, but it blends the science fiction aspects into it incredibly well for, for a film on such a low budget. It's unconventional, surprisingly unique, memorable, and while the humour's not everyone's kind of taste because there's a lot of street humour and 2011 humour kind of doesn't really date well in the coronavirus era. We can finally say it on YouTube now, which is brilliant. Uh, but it's authentic considering uh, the themes that we got in the film. This urban landscape, very gritty of its time. It got the whole depiction and the representation of youth perfect. And it's a film that a lot of media studies students uh, came to including myself, uh, back in the day. Uh, you've got a great score from Stephen Price, uh, with contributions from none other than the people at Basement Jacks. Yeah, they got, they got the, the music authentic as well. Uh, and you've also got some brilliant cinematography from Tom Townend. Um, but I do have to mention one thing, the CG in this film. Now, this is a very, very, very low-budget film. It's... Uh, measly budget by Hollywood standards but somehow they were able to use that budget to their advantage in the creation of the aliens and again I, the aliens get shown in a clip that I had I queued up for years just then but I deliberately cut it short because I want I want people to go into this film with no expectations I want people to go into this film knowing roughly what it's about and what what it's like but it's a film that you really have to experience to truly understand. And the key point why you've got to experience this film are the performances. This was one of the first major roles of a certain John Boyega, a man who, hopefully come the end of the month, view cinema customers will be hearing 
uh, before the movies to turn their phones off. I was off expecting him to do the usual, uh, but to get lost in a great story, you got. If you've been to a V any time in the last couple of months, you'll know what I mean. But you got Boyega as a really likable lead. You also have. This is a breeding ground for new talent. You also have a doctor. Jodie Whittaker was a revelation in this movie. Uh, when I studied this film at college, it was the first time a lot of the class had really seen Jodie Whittaker do her thing because Broadchurch had just aired and uh, people weren't really clued up on TV at that point. But those two make this film work so well. Boyega is able to lead it with ease. Whittaker supports it really well. And you also have some great other great British talent as well. You've got Luke Treadaway, Nick Frost, a couple of other great talents. This is a real ensemble piece. We have some brilliant homegrown talent. This film proves it. And it's kind of add to my theory of film for getting it so, so, so right. Edgar Wright, executive producer this movie. Need I say any more than that? It is unique, it's authentic, and it was a daring move for the sci-fi genre. Attack the Block has really become a major part of... uh, I I, I was tempted to call it geek culture, but it's more nerd culture now because we've got a stormtrooper and a doctor from the same film. It's pretty cool. It's become a go-to for for great casting as well. It is a film that... um, kick-started a lot of careers but how do i rate this thing on i was gonna say rip ticket how do i rate this thing on talking spitbet film well we use the old rip ticket rating scale for those of you who've been coming in over the last couple of weeks from all the various content including my uh, appearance in one of these yeah still got it uh we have a very different rating scale on the podcast compared to the blog because you can't use star ratings on a podcast we have not worth watching, wait for DVD, worth a watch, should be watched, go out and see it now, and masterpiece. Uh, I have to say, given the fact that it has been a few years and the film stays relatively well, it's a should-be-watch kind of movie. Whether my sound effect played out then, I don't know, but uh, I shall have to wait and see in the editing suite. But it is a should-be-watch kind of movie, uh, because it is... A film that just gets it so right. It's a film that gets it so right in terms of the comedy, the science fiction, the way it's paced, the way it's delivered, and sure, some audiences may have a bit of an issue with it in terms of the, the general pacing and the themes, but it is a film that just works. To literally quote Todd Howard of the Fallout games, the guy who makes Fallout games, it just works. But unlike the Fallout games, it actually, it actually does work. But yeah, Attack of the Lock is a should-be-watched kind of movie, and uh, it's probably going to be on Film 4 at some point soon, because it always is on Film 4. Because uh, obviously. Uh, right, so it's just gone uh, 13 minutes past seven. Uh, usually I'd play an advert for the Rip Ticket Review at this point, but as we had our season finale on Sunday, I can't do any of that. Uh, but what I can do instead uh, is do the Film News Rundown instead, because... There is. We've been away for four weeks um, on podcast front here on YouTube because uh, I've been preparing for all of the marathon stuff next week. So it's been a, a f- about four weeks of ring rust to, to wear off here. But I'm going to address the big elephant in the room first. Um, a lot of you will have probably seen in the press uh, that Cineworld and View have now pushed their reopening days back to July the 31st. Now, obviously, I'm partial to information within view, but I'm not legally allowed to say anything on that front. I do know the identity of the first 20 view cinemas that will reopen. That much I can say. I know where they're going to reopen on July 31st. So it's now just quite literally a real waiting game. But from sad news... Well, to even sadder news to lead this week's film news rundown on. Hit the music. Uh, we got the news through that Carl Reiner, comedy legend, worked with uh, Steve Martin on films like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, uh, passed away at the age of 98. Absolute legend in the industry. Can't be matched, can't be imitated. We're going def- to try and get what, at least one of his movies reviewed in the next couple of weeks out of respect for Glenn because it's hard not to argue the influence he had on this industry over his long and tenured career. 
In other news, Margot Robbie will star and produce in a brand new Pirates of the Caribbean film. You all thought it was a dead franchise. You all thought it was a dead franchise with Johnny Depp doing his thing. But no, we're getting a new one. Margot's going to produce it. Female-led, and the rumour is that Karen Gillan is going to be in it. I think a lot of people can get behind watching that. Uh, in the last hour, we've had news that Westworld's creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy will adapt the Fallout games made by Bethesda for a new Amazon Prime limited series. They say war never changes, but uh, Fallout 76 was anything to go by, then uh, look at adapting that. Uh, we also had the news that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg will reboot the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a brand new CG animated film. I don't know how to feel about that. The last time those two worked on an animated film was four years ago and on a movie called Sausage Party. The first major R-rated animated film for adults. Audiences had a mixed bag. Myself and the journal executive producers quite literally lost it laughing at that film. Whether it'll be a mick take or whether it'll be serious, we simply do not know. We also, yeah, in the last hour, Brie Larson has launched a YouTube channel, because why not? She's um, she's really doing it. Uh, she's going to be using her voice to put the spotlight on the minority audiences that she loves to represent so much. Uh, again, I don't know what to say about it, because... Oh, good luck to her. I'll say that much. Good luck to her, because this is a, this is a difficult platform to master. And finally, the writer of Elf is working on a brand new Christmas film. Jason Momoa will be in it. And when I say what this film is, all of you will be thinking, what? Momoa? As that character? Really? Because I don't think he's going to make a good Frosty the Snowman. That is your film news rundown. I've genuinely forgotten how difficult that is. So, on to the featured attraction of this week's Talking Smith. And, oh, I've been looking forward to reviewing this movie for since, since I got word of it. So, a few weeks back, uh, Netflix dropped out of nowhere footage of Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams doing a parody song called Volcano Man uh, for an upcoming movie about the Eurovision Song Contest. Well, that movie is finally out, and I am so hyped to review this one. So, if again, if Netflix don't copyright strikers, this is the trailer for one of the newest releases on the platform and our newest review this week. This is the trailer for Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Yep. 42 countries. Hundreds of performers. And a worldwide audience of 180 million. This is Eurovision. Wow. You have to watch that guy. He is a sex player. Hey, looking good. Secret, very beautiful voice. Thank you. We are a duo that will never be separated. George Michael said something about other wham guy. <laughs> no one even knows his name. Andrew Ridgely. You have to stay focused. We need to win. What are you doing? I just want my ding-dong to look bigger than what is really there. Smart. Yeah. I could do a camel. Do a classic camel. It's never out of style. Yeah. 
This is it. We have to prove to Iceland and my extremely handsome father that my life hasn't been a waste. For both of us. Lars, you are a dreamer. My dreamer. Ah, we can't. Really? Romance, it ruins the bands. Fleetwood Mac. Ace of Bass, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, I forgot about Simon. Where the mountains sing to the screams of seagulls. Firesager are not giving up. Tonight is our night. <laughs> you don't have a single chance of making it. Stop laughing! I'm trying to fight you! <laughs> you hit me, but very light, like silky kitty fish in marshmallow boxing glove. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can I say? When aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid are given the opportunity to represent their country, Iceland, at the world's biggest song competition, they finally got a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. When your country is too bankrupt to even host the Eurovision Song Contest, should you win it? Now, this is peak Eurovision, this movie. It gets it so right. And one of the best bits of this movie, and we'll talk about it a little bit more at length when we get into the main body of the review, is the work of Mr Dan Stevens, the most flamboyant, deep-voiced Russian I have seen in a film for a very long time. And I think this clip kind of shows his talent off incredibly well. you be asking why and i'm going to quote graham norton here why because it's eurovision it's a it's the annual gathering of the greatest musical minds in the business and australia for a night of tv gold and some arguably very political voting it's a contest that apparently will ferrell's been a big fan of for nearly 20 years so he wanted to make a film about it much like the real thing it's super cheesy a bit naff in places, but it works so incredibly well. And it's enjoyable. So enjoyable. It's on a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes with the American reviews factored in, which is incredible. And that's David Dobkin who is in charge here. And he's helmed similar movies in the form of 2005's Wedding Crashes. Now, he knows how to translate some of the most ridiculous premises into movie form and he does an all right job here it clocks in at two hours three minutes and it's paced relatively decently but much like the real grand final of eurovision it does drag on a little bit it could have done with a few minutes being trimmed here and there and i'm being ridiculously nitpicky here it is a film that could have been trimmed back a little bit two hours three it's a little overkill for a comedy i'm, I'm a firm believer of the 90 minute rule if you can't get a comedy done in 90 minutes it's not a comedy but it does pass the six laugh test Namely because Farrell and Andrew Steele are authentic in the way they've written film, they've created characters that feel believable, true, they get the feel of the contest right, and it may be stupid funny, and stupid funny isn't everyone's cup of tea, but it, it worked. It really did work. And there are so many subtle nods to the to the real contest. It is it's a film made by Eurovision fans for Eurovision fans. Uh Behind the camera is Danny Cohen. Does a brilliant job. He's able to frame it, frame the actual contest sections like you're watching it on TV because it looks all the staging is replicas of the 2019 staging. Uh, and you also have, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, Atli Orvason on the music uh, side of things, for score at least, and Savin Kultica, um doing the 
the actual popular stuff. So on a technical front, it's sufficient enough for a Will Ferrell movie of this nature. But where this really clicks is the cast. You've got Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. They are... They're actually really, really, really good. Br- I'd go as far as to say they're brilliant in this movie. Obviously, there are questions about the validity of their singing because McAdams isn't credited, as far as I'm aware, on the soundtrack album. Uh, junior Eurovision entrant Molly Sandon uh, harmonises vocals on, on soundtrack album, but that's a matter for Netflix to discuss, not me. But they do a decent job here. Now, supporting them are a cast that includes Demi Lovato, a man who, every time I mention him, I have to play this clip. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Go on, and only Pierce Brosnan. Uh, Dan Stevens and a lot of other people. It's safe to say this diverse group of talents can make such an impossible comedy work. And it really does work. And would it be a Eurovision movie without any cameos? You've seen him in the trailer. Graham Norton is there. And there's a big section, which I've released on YouTube. I would have used it as a clip, but it would have been an instant copyright strike. Uh, There was a big song along, as I call it. Kind of like the riff-off from Pitch Perfect 2.0. But there's a lot of Eurovision personalities in there. You will really have to spot the cameos. Um... But seeing Graham Norton pop up made made my Saturday night when I watched it uh, last week. Now, the story of Fire Saga is a pretty neat embodiment of Eurovision night, but the pacing issues could hit audiences on this one hard. Like I say, as, a, as it currently stands, it is a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I gave it a three-star review for the blog, which technically translates to a worth watch... Ah, it's really quiet. That, that explains why I couldn't hear it earlier. But it translates to a worth a watch rating uh, here on Talking Split That Film. Because it's on Netflix and you can come to it anytime. But it's a film that you'll want to have a proper night in with. It's a comedy that you don't want to take too seriously. And like I say, it just works. It just works. But the one thing with Eurovision I can't really uh, fathom is how Dan Stevens has really transformed his career because we've finished the review now so I'm, I'm into general banter as a lot of you long time talking spit listeners will know well it's effectively going to become Jack Smith shows clips now uh, because when I first heard of Dan Stevens it was when this happened on Good Morning Britain four years ago and if you've not seen this well uh, brace yourself um this is you as an all-american and a big opportunity for you in hollywood you must have had to beat off a lot of american men to get this part <laughs> i say susanna <laughs> why does that make you giggle did you not have to beat them off i had to i had to play it i had to play it we've got like our running jokes now whenever i mentioned it dan seems to have to play that whenever i mentioned pierce brosnan i have to play a clip from taffin uh but we are halfway through this week's talking smith about film I might as well, even though I said I'm not going to play it, uh, I might as well give you all a glimpse into what we get up to on the Ripped Ticket review every week. Uh, well, it was every week until Sunday. We've finished the season up now. Uh, but stay tuned to this very channel on Wednesday because you'll get to see that season finale of Ripped Ticket right here. This is the sort of thing we get up to if my volume levels are right. Let's pray that they are. In a world where film podcasts solely focus on multiple films and multiple stories, what else do you need than two blokes who used to present a radio show talking nonsense about film? The Rip Ticket Review is the new podcast from myself, Jack Smith, and my very good friend, Dan Carver, former presenters of Pulse Radio's Rip Ticket Show. And every Sunday, we get together online and talk nonsense about the infamous films, the infamous directors, and the tales that make these things interesting. We've looked at things like The Room. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. It's <laughs> 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 about as bad as the, uh, the scene later on in the film. How is this sexy? <laughs>
<laughs> We've looked at things like Uwe Boll's inability to make a good video game movie. Uwe Boll, a German director who didn't understand computer game movies. One might argue that um, he is kind of like Tommy Wiseau in that he did his own thing. Um, but yeah. There is is a minefield here that we can really go down with Uwe Boll. We've looked in depth at the whole coronavirus effect on the film industry and we're only just getting started. You can watch the podcast being recorded live every week at facebook.com forward slash the ripped ticket show you can follow us on twitter at ripped underscore ticket you can email us using ripped show at gmail.com and you can find the audio on all good podcast providers including apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts and basically all your favorite podcast merchants really the ripped ticket review we talk about movies in an attempt to make you sound more knowledgeable at the pub when they eventually reopen, that is. Saturday! Yeah, the pubs are back open on Saturday, but not the cinemas. We'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit. But first, seeing as we are talking about the future, we'll give you a quick little reminder of what's coming up on Wednesday. Now, as a lot of you will be aware, Wednesday is when I usually go into a cinema for 12 solid hours watch as many films as I can handle. One day, one cinema, all the films. However, as they remain closed for the time being, it's going to be the very first digital birthday marathon, and we have nearly five hours of brand new content right here on this YouTube channel for you all to enjoy. 10am on Wednesday, an hour-long podcast uh, explaining how the marathon came to be, behind the scenes, the making of, some of the stories from the last... Five years of running this event uh, in cinema, that is, and uh, a little insight into what life is like inside what I regard the best cinema in the world. Then at 11, Rip Ticket Review, season finale, all about the work of Christopher Nolan, the man who right now is basically Hollywood's last hope at saving cinema with the release of his new film Tenet, set for August 12th at time of recording, streaming, because uh, it's, it's going to get moved again. It's going to get moved again, because obviously. So that's 11 till 12. Then, a couple of hours break, as is tradition. Uh, and then, this is the biggie. At 2 o'clock, the longest podcast we have ever made. Two and a half hours of brand new Talking Smith about film content, uh, featuring reviews of 14 movies. Why 14? because they are all of the films from the marathon that we have not yet reviewed on the podcast. Yes, I reviewed all of them. And I'm going to say specifically to the View Preston team, you will want to tune in to this podcast at around half past three on Wednesday, because a major announcement is going to be made regarding a marathon later on in the year. That's all I'm allowed to say on that front. And finally... Would it be a marathon day without a brand new episode of The Journal? And I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm super proud of how this episode's come about because it was a happy little accident, as Bob Ross would say. Uh, as a lot of you long-time viewers will know, we reviewed a movie called Hustlers on the very first of these live-streamed Talking Smith About Film podcasts. And one of our long-time creative team members said, well, I want to co-write a journal with you about, about it. So that's what happened. So in a journal first, uh, we've got a link up to Newcastle upon time, uh, where one of the great men and women will, uh, alongside me, break down the movie Hustlers to celebrate two years of the series being a thing. So that'll be going out at 8 o'clock on Wednesday, Wednesday evening. It's a big day of content for the blog, uh, and of course uh, it'll be going out on all the socials as well. There's a lot to look forward to on, on Wednesday, and I'm so proud of how it was all come together. That's the reason I've not been on here doing the podcast live for the last four weeks. It's been a nightmare getting it all made in time. But we are done now, and we are all set and ready to go, and it's all gone through Content ID, with the exception of one or two trailers looking at you, Universal. Uh, but 
uh, for you podcast listeners, uh, you'll get the whole thing uncut and in full with all the, every clip, every trailer intact. Hell, you'll even, you'll even get a film news rundown. YouTube aren't getting that. But we still have business to get to here tonight. And this sets up the Marathon podcast. Because on Wednesday, I'll be reviewing Now You See Me too. But would it really make any sense to review a sequel without reviewing the film that kicked off the franchise? So that's exactly what we're going to do. This is the trailer for the Louis Leterrier magic film. Now you see me. The first one. Or as I'm going to call it, the good one. Minor spoiler there. Here's the trailer. Come in close. Because the more you think you see... easier it'll be to fool you. Ladies and gentlemen, for our final trick, we are going to rob a bank. On the count of three, you will be teleported through space and time to your bank in Paris. One, two, three. Everyone in this room was a victim of hard times. Some of you lost your homes, your cars, and so tonight, we're going to return some of that money back to you. Explain to me how you went from Las Vegas to Paris in three seconds. What are the kids called these days? Oh, magic. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. Your bank was the distraction. While they set up the real trick. Expose them now and destroy them. Hang on, hang on. I've got nothing. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the delay. Whatever this grand trick is, it was designed a long time ago. And I believe that what's about to follow is really going to amaze. Look closely. Because the closer you think you are, the less you'll actually see. Well, that trailer kind of gives you a good idea as to what this cast is like and what the plot is like. Well, it's pretty paint by numbers, really. An FBI agent and an Interpol detective track a team of illusionists who pull off bank heists during their performances and reward their audiences with the money. They are incredibly, incredibly smart magicians. Magicians who aren't afraid to go full nuclear in order to get their way especially when they're trying to weasel money out of their investor, who is played by Michael Caine in one of these heists. One of them is a hypnotist, one of them is an escapist, one of them is a traditional uh, magician, the other is a pickpocket. The Four Horsemen, as they call themselves. And the clip we have here is the moment they weasel money out of Michael Caine in front of a paying audience. Here's a clip. (laughs) What's going on there, Daniel? Uh, Wait, uh, this is weird. A second ago it said 144,579,651, but now, now it says $70,000 less. Now, uh, Josepha, can you stand up? Now, what what is your new number? $70,562 now in my account. that Josefa's balance went up the exact amount that Arts went down? Well, hey, check it out. It's happening again. Is it? Wow. It is. Arts balance has gone down another 280K. Gina Robertson, what did yours say? $281,477. We have a confession to make. She's right. We lied about something. Yes, none of you were chosen at random. All of you have one thing in common. Everyone in this room was a victim of the hard times that hit one of America's most treasured cities. Some of you lost your houses, your cars, your businesses, your loved ones. But all of you were insured by the same company. Tressler Insurance. You were abandoned. You were loopholed. Out of your settlements. This is all for show. 
correct? Oh, mean we're doing it on stage in front of a paying audience? Then yes, whoa, it's for show. I've got $82,000 on my bank account. It says it right here on my cell phone. Everybody look at the cell phones right now. Everybody. Hey, is this for real? I, I don't know. Is this happening? I don't know. I can't tell. Hey, did you do this? How could we, Art? We don't have your password. We'd need access to information we could never get our hands on. Ah, uh, yes, security questions, for instance, like, I don't know, your mother's maiden name or, or the name of your first pet. Where would we get that information, Art? You certainly would never tell us. We got confirmation. It's really happening. They robbed him. Do not let them get away. Hey, we left you the jet and the rolls. Well, apologies to our YouTube viewers because I didn't get to see the full goodness of that clip. I'm just going to waffle on until um, we get the YouTube feed back online because uh, Lionsgate have been an absolute pain. Uh, but this is a this is a film about magic. This is a film about magic, and sometimes magic is a difficult thing to nail. The 2006 film The Prestige uh, did that incredibly well because it's a Christopher Nolan movie uh, but sometimes believability is is the key and I talked about it at length with, with Ed Greenberg back in the day uh, in terms of making a, a, a film about magic believable and it's difficult so I'm just going to launch straight into the review. As a fan of magicians like Dynamo, whose unique card shuffle is copied at the start of this movie, I had very high hopes for this film when I said it back in... Uh, God, 24... If 20, yeah, that was 2013. God, it's been seven years since this film came out. Um, I wasn't disappointed at the time, but as I've watched more movies and the inevitable sequel came out, I can, I can find the faults with it now. I can really find the faults with it. Now, Leterrier, he paced it relatively well. He did pace it relatively well. And it, it shows he works to a, a decent enough script uh, from uh, Boaz Yakin, Ed Solomon and Ed Ricourt. Uh, and we are back live on YouTube, I've just seen. Um, so, YouTube viewers, if you um, missed that bit of the review, uh, you're going to have to either watch again on the podcast channel or listen uh, to the Spotify iTunes version, which when it goes out later tonight. Uh, he works from a, to a decent script from Bias Yakin, Ed Tom and Edward Record. Uh, the team at KO Paper Pro Products who... Um, Kurtzman and Orchie. Yep. Yep. Need I say more? Uh, but it is... On a technical front, it's relatively decent. You've got a brilliant score from, from Brian Tiger, who, which you've heard in the clip. And it's become a mainstay of a certain cinema's foyer playlist uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, and on cinematography, you've got two DOPs. You've got Larry Thong and Mitchell Admonton, according to the IMDb page anyway. But from a technical standpoint, this film is, is rather good and... It is a little over-reliant on CGI over practical effects and tricks. It uses the CGI to create the illusions. And for a magic film, you don't do that. You want to to steal the marketing slogan. You want to get lost in a great story. You want to get lost in the illusion. And there is a there is a point where it creeps over the uncanny valley. I mean, the sequence with the check, which YouTube viewers could have potentially seen, and I don't know. Um... But the sequ some of the sequences of this film are a little bit far-fetched, and you're like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, but just the grand scale of this film, it's ambitious. I'll, I will give it that. 
It's amb- like Top Gear. It's ambitious but rubbish. Why did I not think of that? No, the cast. This is what holds this film together from a rant. Uh, you've got the team of Jesse Eisenberg, Dave Franco, Ida Fisher and Woody Harrelson. Uh, they're really good. They make you question every detail of their plan, their motivations, their morals, what they are ultimately doing it for. And they have a very good reason at the end because... Well, I won't spoil too much, but, well, I'll spoil it on Wednesday. I'll tell you that much. Um, but they do have purpose. Uh, and the supporting cast as well are... Just just as good as what well. you've got Mark Ruffalo as an, as the FBI agent. Uh, you've got Melanie Laurent um, as an Interpol. You've got Morgan, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine. Um, so many names in this film. Oh, even Conan O'Brien pops up in it. And what's a movie about Conan O'Brien these days? On, on, honestly, America. Uh, but this cast... Um, really do what they put their all but the, the moments i enjoy the most are the moments that you get to see michael kane and morgan freeman working together you get to see him have some properly big arguments on the cinema screen and that was that was a feast to behold uh, it's um it was surreal watching that movie when it came out for very obvious reasons as a result of the CGI and the, 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 the pacing is another issue I had with it as well because it is uh, a movie that has been extended for home video it was 1 hour 55 for cinemas and they added a couple of extra bits and bobs and a post credit scene to set up Now You See Me 2 which came out in 2016 and we'll be, we'll be reviewing that on Wednesday um, but the pacing is a little bit iffy at points for a heist thriller it works but adding magic to the mix yeah, it didn't really work as well as it could have done. So, while the film overutilizes the CG and its illusions, Now You See Me was one of the more unique films of 2013. What was a relatively dry summer of movies. Uh, I reckon audiences will get charmed about uh, with this film about magic, and obviously Lionsgate have plans. They've made the second, they want to make the third. But looking back on the film that kick-started this franchise off and knowing what's happened to the franchise since then, the development hell, the sequel, which again, I'm not going to spoil too much about because we're reviewing it on, on Wednesday. I can only, again, really give this film a worth a watch. Hey, got the sound effects back. Um, but it, it's worth a watch if, you, if you've got nothing on. It's worth a watch if you've got nothing on and you want to watch the first two. But if you are really into your magic and you've watched things like Dynamo Beyond Belief on Sky, I was going to say Magician Impossible, but that's his old show. Uh, But if you watch things like Dynamo Beyond Belief or hell, I'm going to show my age a little bit here, even The Masked Magician, you know, the one that was on ITV4 back in the day, uh, you will probably find issues with this movie. Although, I will, one little bit of trivia. The, uh, the shark cage scene that you've seen in the trailer. Iger Fisher did get stuck in that, and they had to call the whole, whole thing off. She was a little bit shocked. Might explain why she didn't come back for the sequel. Uh, but Now You See Me is a merely a worth-a-watch kind of movie. Which is... which is a, I, I, want, I really wanted to give that movie a bit of a higher rating. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, you get what you've been given with these kinds of movies. So, we've got another 10 minutes or so left. Uh, and 12 actually a little over 12, yeah, 11 minutes. 11 minutes to do a big discussion. Lord help us. But let's have a chat about the reopening. And the reopening is this weekend. Now, Odeon are pushing ahead with their plan to reopen the first of their cinemas uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, the closest one to me is the Trafford Centre. Surprise, surprise, big shopping centre. But all of the other chains have held back on their plans. Cineworld announced on Monday that they would be holding, putting the pause button on their reopening plans until July 31st, following the delays of both Tenet and Mulan 
to the middle of August and they want to get at least two weeks in before the big films start hitting screens again. View followed a similar pattern. Uh, that news came through yesterday. Uh, Variety broke it, although, me being me, I was made aware of it a few hours before uh, public got wind of it. But this reopening is now going to be a real test for cinemas here in the UK. Is it going to be feasible or not? Because Odeon are putting into place a policy where it's going to be pre-book only, which again, I can get behind. Uh, Pick and mix and scooped ice cream, so goodbye to your Ben and Jerry's temporarily. They'll be gone. The concessions will be pre-packed. Uh, no news on self-service, though, which is interesting considering a lot of the Luxus State have self-service food and drink now. Uh, the same with some of the viewer states and some of the Cineworld VIP cinemas as well. That has not been made clear by um, the government for the whole COVID secure guidelines. So again, we will keep you updated on all of that. Uh, it will be a visual inspection of the tickets. So you'll be showing your phone or your paper ticket if you're using. If you're old school like me, uh, you'll show your phone, two meters distance, of course, uh, to the guest, what do they call The cinema hosts, there we are. Odin call them cinema hosts, you call them customer assistants. Uh, but you'll show your ticket, two metres distance, they'll scan it in. But in the screen, it's going to be very different. And this is one of the reasons why the announcement on Wednesday is being made on Wednesday in particular. They are going to section off three seats in between guests. Three seats and a standard screen, one recliner if it's a luxe. Kind of explanatory because the recliners are a little bit wider and requirements and stuff. But they will also take off sale every alternate row. Now, for a cinema like View Preston, and I have looked at this internally, not with the staff, because it's internal Lee Jackson Adventures investigations. Even with alternate rows off sale, it's still not going to work if you've got a capacity of under 500. Because if you cut, what Lee Chains are anticipating is running on as low as 30% occupancy. With the social distancing in play, with the, the plastic shields of both concessions in play, your pick and mix removed and all that sort of stuff, it's not gonna be the cinema experience. We might have the films, might have the content, but it's not gonna be the cinema experience that you know and love. And that's gonna put people off. Which is why I'm kind of relieved that V Preston's staying closed for, the, for a little while longer. Now, obviously, not all of the chains have confirmed their reopening plans yet. The independents are still waiting on the full, uh, full clearance. Every man will be starting to open up their cinemas over the weekend as well. Their first four cinemas come back online. It'll be easy for them to do social distancing because Cyphers and Humblebrag wrote about it, uh, wrote about their cinemas in that dissertation behind me. Um, Real, uh, which run a cinema down the road from me and Shorby. Uh, they will also remain closed until mid-August. No date has been given on their front row, uh, but they are anticipating to be back open in time for, for Tenet, Mulan, for Quiet Place uh, in September, uh, and all the big films coming out towards the end of the year, of course, headlined by Bond and Black Widow in November. So that's going to be the real, the real key. Uh, but all of the big free chains have got varying reopening plans. So my best advice to everyone heading down to a cinema over the next four weeks. Number one, have your phone ready because you never know if uh, you you never know if you can get your hands on a snazzy paperless ticket because they really are going to be game changers in this era of social distancing and and all of the associated madness, the Corona Coaster, as uh, one of my friends has called it. But have your phone ready, because you will probably need it. Scan your ticket in at gate. This is an expired one, don't worry. Uh, you will need to scan your ticket. You, you, hell, you might even pay for your food on it. Contact us. Have one of these ready. You will also probably need, because 
public transport. You'll need one of these, face covering. Because come on, practice, practice what you preach, Great Britain. Uh, but go to your cinema prepared. Even if it means bringing your own food and drink in, which, I mean, it contra- contravenes a lot of rules in some regards. Because they're going to need your concessions money. Especially after four, nearly 100 days of closure. It has literally taken, and I've joked about this, it has literally taken the entire duration of a refurbishment to get the cinemas back open. It's been over 100 days since the cinemas closed. It's been over 100 days since I had a haircut, but that's changing on Tuesday. Uh, but it's going to be a very different cinema experience. To quote Jeff Wayne, it's going to be a brave new world with just a handful of men and women We'll start all over again. Quoting War of the Worlds on my own podcast. Never thought I'd see the day. But the cinema is still going to be a safe place for many. It's going to be a safe place for me when I eventually return, because believe me, I've missed the place. I've missed the staff. They know that a fair bit. But when we all go back to the cinema, stay safe, stay sanitised, and get ready for full frontal big screen entertainment. I've seen the list of 450 films that the Film Distributors Association have given to the cinemas that they can potentially reopen with, and they have some good stuff to play with in terms of archive programming over the next couple of weeks. And in a row between all of the new films coming in and the reopenings, there'll be a lot of great movies back on the big screen. Movies which we have reviewed here on Talking Smith about films. So I do suggest if you are a YouTube viewer who's come, who's come across this podcast for the first time since we started live streaming these back in May, go through the archive and look back at what we've reviewed so far. Hell, even go through ejacksmith.com and look back at what we've reviewed because a lot of those films from the last 100 years plus of cinema are available to cinemas. The Dark Knight Trilogy, Inception, Blade Runner, Greatest Showman, La La Land, 1917, a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, surprisingly no DC films apart from those known movies. The Prestige in 35mm for for some, some lucky people. But there is a lot of great movies to look forward to towards the end of the year. And here on Talking Smith Bear Film, when we can safely get back inside a cinema, because uh, it's gonna be, we're not going back straight away. We're, no, we're, we're waiting it out here at Smith, uh, Lee Jack Smith Ventures. When we can safely get back inside of the cinema, we will try our absolute best to get as many of these movies reviewed, especially Tenet. Now that Warner have come out and said we're gonna run this movie for a long time, it could end up playing cinemas not just for 16 weeks, but for 52 weeks. That's how big of a deal this movie is. Tenet could play cinemas for a full year to let everyone have a chance to see it. But we will keep you updated on all of the latest in the world of big screen entertainment in our little three-minute block that we call the Film News Rundown every week. And with that, I also get to say, all being well, if Odeon don't change their mind in the next 48 hours. Audio listeners to the Marathon podcast on Wednesday will have, for the first time on a Talking Smith Bear film since November, we could potentially have box office figures to report. I have the bed, I have the old bed, I've got all of the old assets ready to go. Next week, hopefully, this podcast returns to its glory days. But that is next week, but right here and now. We are very nearly out of time. Uh, and just my look, yeah, I've got like a new chat bot uh, in the live chat for uh, for the YouTube stream. Still working everything out. I've only been doing this for what two months, and I'm I'm becoming like a pro level streamer with a bot and everything and new software. We're using Stream Elements for those of you who are interested. Um, but I'm still working it all out. So we'll get all of that nailed down for the next live podcast. But we won't be live now for another two weeks. Because, like I say, we have a big, big podcast on uh, on Wednesday. Pre-recorded, and that will premiere here on YouTube at 2 o'clock British time on Wednesday afternoon. It is 
It's a podcast that I am surprisingly incredibly proud of. But I now have to sign off. So until Wednesday afternoon, well, Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., we will see you bright and early for the behind the scenes of the marathon. But until then, my name's been Jack Smith. You've heard me talk nonsense about film for literally an hour. Time that well. And until Wednesday, we'll see you at the movies. Stay safe, party responsibly at the weekend, and we'll see you at 10am on Wednesday morning. (laughs) 